stages but but a point of personal privilege i think her performance in 1919 at the 100th anniversary of the delaware state fair was pretty special <laughs> would you like to see him visit the border i don't care if he visits the border or not that doesn't he doesn't need to visit the border to know we've got a problem he's got people that report to him every day about what the problem is and sometimes we fixate on these little issues do you think the president doesn't know we got a problem at the border? State and not visit the border. Because there's more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 8th of December, year of the Lord, 2022. That is your commander-in-chief. Fuck the border is more important shit. We're not going to cover that. Media is not going to make them. You literally have a congressman saying that bullshit about climate change and him stammering. Today's going to be a long show. Got a lot to get to. Someone's going to get right to it. I wanted to cover up front because it's very important. Joe Biden just made a deal to train a, a, a dangerous freaking terrorist for Brittany Grinder because she's gay, black, and transitioning. That's extra points on your bingo card. Just remember, Paul Whelan is still there. He's a white dude. He didn't do anything. They've done nothing for him. They've also gotten Trevor. Trevor Reed got released uh, in April. They made a deal for that. But not this Wheeling guy. He He's still there. If he starts transitioning or using they, them pronouns, maybe the Biden administration will care about him. But they don't because he's a white guy. You don't get any bingo points on your tra- your fucking identity politics fucking bingo card by talking about that. But up front, let's talk about the unconstitutional shit going in Oregon, and it was actually voted for. Measure 114. And my bro, Matt in Oregon, turned me on to this. Ballot Measure 114, unconstitutional ban on ammo magazines with more than 10 rounds. 114 will ban the use, possession, manufacturing, and transfer of ammunition magazines over 10 rounds. Use of a currently owned magazine will only be lawful on private property at a shooting range and while engaged in hunting. When a magazine is transported off private property, the magazine must be removed with the firearm and stored separately. Therefore, a magazine over 10 rounds will not be available to exercise the right of self-defense. Ballot Measure 114 will require government permission to exercise your Second Amendment. requires a permit to purchase it would also allow your personal information to be added to a government registry and somehow Oregonians voted for it it is now under a temporary stay but that's what they voted for 
Never mind there's, what, 35 million ARs, which means everybody's got an average of about 20 magazine. What is that? It's a lot. You're never going to get them all. Every pistol is over 10 rounds. Mine's 12. It is unconstitutional and unenforceable. They'll push laws like this, but they won't actually enforce the laws and put thugs in jail for possession of a weapon as a felon. That's not going to be enforced. But we're going to take law-abiding citizens and make them criminals for owning magazines. So, had to get that up front. Want to get some stuff up front? Uh, Here is CNN saying you better not investigate Hunter. And then Hillary Clinton once again being brought out to peddle her fucking hate. And so one of the challenges, Tulu, we're going to see in the next year is most of these House Republicans come from safe Republican districts where they believe they will be supported back home when they take it to the Biden administration. Pick your issue, but take it to the Biden administration. If you go over to the Senate side where they have to run statewide, they're a little bit more nervous about this. And uh, we were just talking during the break about in this midterm election year, people were not trying to rock the boat. They were more safe than spicy, if you will, uh, given all the stresses of the last couple of years. In our exit polls around the election, what are the top issues for Republican midterm voters? The economy, inflation, 71 percent, immigration, 9 percent, abortion, 5 percent. So you see immigration gets a modest number there. So you can understand why the Republicans want to look at border policy. Is there a risk that they sound completely out of step, out of touch with what the American people just voted for? There there is a risk. And that's in part the challenge that Kevin McCarthy faces in trying to appease so many different parts of his constituency in the Republican caucus. If you are looking at just protecting your majority makers, some of those moderate Republicans that won in Biden districts, then you focus on inflation, you focus on some of the major policies that could actually help people. And I just wonder, when you hear it again and you see what's happening now to women around the world, what do you think, as you say, unfinished business? Well, what I think, Christiane, is that we have come a long way since I made that statement back in 1995 on so many fronts. But We are also in a period of time where there is a lot of pushback and much of the progress that has been, I think, taken for granted by too many people uh, is under attack, literally under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine, where rape is a tactic of war, or under attack by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's health care and uh, bodily autonomy. And we're going to go around the world with you in a second, but first about precisely what you're talking about and where you are. Uh, Arkansas itself, I believe, rapidly moved to make a woman's right to choose illegal in, in your state or your former home state, and you're hosting this conference. Talk to me about the the confluence of both these events, this pushback on American women's rights at the same time as you're trying to figure a way forward. But, I mean, how much persuasion can we expect when it comes to our, and I'm speaking as a woman, basic rights, whether it's in the United States or around the world? As you said, they are human rights. At what point should these be enshrined, even in the American law and constitution even? I mean, I'm probably exaggerating, but it's, it's extraordinary in 2022 that this basic right of women, half the world's population is still at risk. So we'll see what happens in states like Arkansas and so many others uh, when 
we face real world problems, as we have seen already, uh, where women with miscarriages uh, go in for medical care and are turned away. They're scared. The media is scared because they know this Hunter thing is bigger than they've ever covered on anything on Trump, even though he's been referred for criminal charges on something for his business. And we'll talk later that J6 has confirmed him for charges because they know their panel's going to disassemble because now the Republicans are in charge. This is an NBC reporter journalist. I'm air quoting. Hallelujah. The rest of the media was not much different for this Walker Warnock runoff. We'll start with Van Jones losing his shit. Uh, Tonight is about Georgia and tonight is about Trump picking somebody who, frankly, used to be a hero. Uh, his, His name, Herschel Walker used to mean inspiration. Now it means insult. He's an insult to the black community. And what you may see tonight is people coming out not just to vote uh, in favor of a senator that they love, but just to vote against Donald Trump picking somebody like this and throwing this person at the voters in Georgia. Like, well, you'll just pick anybody who's black. His judgment, Trump's judgment uh, tonight is going to be, I think, called into question by a lot of people. And and I think that when you have when you have a situation where uh, uh, it's obvious that Trump uh, when a, uh, he was a little bit too clever by half. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to put a black guy against right. a black guy, but the guy that he picked was the wrong black so guy. So you think and, uh, it's insulting? I think, you it's, think insulting. it's absolutely it, insulting. And it's, and it's the it's the judgment around the kinds of people you want to run for office. This addiction to celebrity culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, look. I mean, this is one of the things about. Republicans over the years, you know, we, we don't have any celebrities much, you know, there's a, <laughs> a handful of folks. We have Duncan and uh, uh, that's about it. And, but when somebody pops up and it, they're famous and all of a sudden it's like, is this person a Republican? And people start to elevate them beyond potentially what they're capable of. Look what's happened with Kanye West mm-hmm. and Herschel Walker, I think, you know, uh, obviously uh, got the nomination because because not just because Trump picked him, but you know, he legitimately a legend. But that doesn't necessarily make you the kind of person people want to put in the Senate. Now, we're still counting votes tonight. We'll see we'll what see. happens. But one of the things coming out of the midterm for me as a Republican is I was talking to a Republican about this the other night. And he said, I think people just want normal folks who have good character. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you have to pick every celebrity out there and elevate them beyond what they're capable of. But that's a part of the Trump brand. I, yeah. I don't think I don't want to cut out celebrities from being able to run for office. <laughs> but I think. That if you are Herschel Walker, you are an insult to the black voters of Georgia. Um, and honestly, I mean, I'm not a Republican, but I, it would be an insult to me as a Republican to think that this is the type of person that I actually want to send to the United States Senate. The former football star spent much of his campaign fending off one scandal after another, accused of domestic violence, of lying about his resume failing to publicly acknowledge several children and paying for two women to have abortions, which he denies. That turned some voters like Kirk Watkins away. He voted for Republican Governor Brian Kemp, but did not support Walker. Warnock, who made history as the state's first black senator, insisting Georgia sent a clear message to the country reflecting on his path to the nation's capital. This one is a big deal for Democrats and this president. Biden overnight calling Warnock to congratulate him. Democrats do now have an outright majority in the Senate. It means they will not have to rely as much on the vice president to cast that tie-breaking vote. And critically, it also gives Democrats a majority in committees. That is a very important thing for confirming federal judges, a 
appointing nominees, which is a big priority for this president. And it also means that wild card members of the Democratic caucus are less powerful. More conservative members like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who have so often been able to stymie the president's agenda. And also more liberal members like Bernie Sanders will no longer be able to single-handedly block items. Warnock reflecting on his mother's extraordinary journey. She grew up picking somebody else's cotton and somebody else's tobacco. But tonight, she helped pick her youngest son to be a United States senator. Walker struggled to overcome a series of public scandals, from allegations of domestic abuse to accusations he paid for two women to have. There are those who would look at the outcome of this race and say that there's no voter suppression in Georgia. Let me be clear. Just because people endured long lines that wrapped around buildings some blocks long, just because they endured the rain and the cold and all kinds of tricks in order to vote, doesn't mean that voter suppression does not exist. It simply means that you, the people, have decided that your voices will not be silenced. But both in micro, what happened in Georgia, despite the efforts of Republican legislature to make it harder to vote, our people voted. People voted. Georgians voted. They, they, they said, we're not going to let these barriers stand in our way, even if we have to wait in line in the rain. Wait on. My thing was, I thought Jim Crow. And then you hear the guy actually win, and he denies election integrity. Nice work. Nice work. Then we had another thing that happened this week, and all the media was a buzz about it. Since J6 started, there's just something been off about some of these police officers, especially the Fanone dude. He's on CNN all the time. He talks about other than J6, talks about politicians, calls them pieces of shit on air. Well, this week they gave awards to all these guys because, you know, once again, Democrats only like those police officers but want to defund and treat the rest of the police officers like garbage. They decided to blow off Mitch McCarthy and McConnell at the medal ceremony, and the media loved it. right away and condemned what happened on January 6th and whatever hold that Trump has on them, they've backstepped, they've danced, they won't admit to wrongdoing, not necessarily them themselves, but of Trump, of the rioters. I mean, people like, people like Louis Gromer, who presented an American flag that was flown over the Capitol to a January 6th rioter and told them they were a patriot. It's disgusting. And now it takes away everything my brother's done. It takes away my brother, my, the, the heroism my brother showed. You know. You don't think you don't think they deserved a handshake in this context? No. 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 Definitely not. No, because they 
because unlike Liz Cheney, they have no idea what integrity is. They can't stand up for what's right and wrong. Well, it's no, with them it's party first. Liz gave up her political career to do what was right and try to find the truth. She's, she, she's the one ray of hope, her and the whole committee, that they can show integrity, that they can show they actually care about process, about democracy, about everything that goes on. And these guys are, oh, as long as it's got a big R in front of it, we're going to do whatever you do. Yeah. They're pretty political. And I got to admit, that pretty much sums up what this whole thing has been since day one. You can refer charges, you can do all you want, but everybody knows it's a political witch hunt referring for criminal charges. For what? It is once again one of those moments that because he's Donald Trump, they're just going to find a crime. Eventually, they're going to find something so he can't run for president. That's all it's about. Everybody knows it. We're going to bend the law to fit the need. The need is to stop him. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it by just being unscrupulously super biased. It's a shit show. This week, everywhere you could throw a stick, you had them talking about some comedy man about constitutional. So here's two bites on that. And then Chris Salito talking about the dem anti-Semites that surprisingly never get talked about. Look, you're, you, you've got a unique relationship with former President Trump. Uh, he has consistently flirted with some really fringe characters that spout this anti-Semitic behavior, that preach white, nas- white supremacy and white nationalism, things like that. And he doesn't denounce it. He is yet to denounce Kanye West at all. He's yet to denounce being with the white supremacists a few days ago. Why does he have this dif- difficulty, do you think? You, you do seem, though, to, you, you want to praise him for what he did for you. It's an ends justifies the means argument. And at what point does his behavior um, end up impact? I mean, if his behavior is make, creating death threats to Jews, um, inspiring people like what happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh to shoot and kill uh, Jews. Um, doesn't that wipe away anything good he did for Israel? I, I, are you at all concerned, though, that if, if, you, if your government gets what you want, you overlook whether it's Vladimir Putin, who's also an anti-Semite, or a Donald Trump? I mean, what is the line for you that they're... You've been more critical of some congressional Democrats uh, who are critical of the Israeli government than you are of a Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump is in your news feeds this morning for suggesting parts of the U.S. Constitution should be terminated. And that puts some Republicans in the hot seat for failing to condemn that remark. The former president's post comes as the Republican Party is still dealing with the fallout from that dinner Trump had with white nationalist Nick Fuentes and the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, who has continually made anti-Semitic comments. That dinner and Trump's post present a reckoning for his party about its future. Former President Trump is now taking aim at this founding document. A post from Trump suggesting the possible termination of parts of the Constitution. Identifying enemies of your freedom. That's our focus in today's preamble. One of the biggest threats to your freedom is the left-wing opinion hosts who laughingly call themselves reporters, journalists, or news people. 
The press has been obsessed with anti-Semitism for about four days now, since it was revealed that President Trump had dinner with Kanye West, who's been spewing, well, anti-Semitic rhetoric. Also present was a guy by the name of Nick Fuentes, who I don't know, but I have looked up some of the statements and find him to be every bit the Jew hater that AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and Louis Farrakhan are. The difference between us and the biased left-wing press is that the Chris Alcedo Show condemns all anti-Semitism, no matter who it comes from. More on that in a minute. Kanye's recent rhetoric and some of the things this Nick Fuentes guy utters are bat guano crazy. For President Trump, who is not a Jew hater, his daughter, his son-in-law, and his grandbabies are Jewish, for him to dine with these guys, it's just, a, it's just as bad as if Trump broke bread with Elon Omar, the leaders of BLM, or Linda Sarsour, or any other left-wing Democrat Jew hater. This is not a good look for President Trump. And it opened the door for pro-Democrat politicians like Mitch McConnell to pounce. Watch. There, there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view, in my judgment, are highly unlikely to ever be elected president of the United States. Oh, okay. You know, it was almost as if MSNBS scripted that for old Mitch. Speaking of MSNBS, here they are feigning outrage over President Trump's recent dinner with Kanye and Fuentes. I would say, Nicole, like, this isn't somebody, uh, Nick Fuentes, who is dancing around anti-Semitism. This is somebody who is openly and outwardly anti-Semitic. And um, I, 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 I just, I can't understand how, he, there is no gray area here with this person. So I, I, I don't quite, and frankly, by the way, Nicole, there's no gray area with Kanye West at the moment either. So, right. um, and he did know he was having dinner with Kanye West and Kanye West has been openly anti-Semitic over the last couple of weeks. Wow, Kanye has been uttering Jew hatred for weeks, you say? And that gets MSNBS's panties in a twist. Yet Democrats who have been uttering anti-Semitism for years, well, Nicole Wallace, who we are convinced is related in some way to Chris Wallace, she and her network have expressed barely a peep over this long festering anti-Semitism from the Democrat Party. As authors at Newsweek Bruce Abramson and Jeff Balaban point out, the left, Joe Biden in particular, refuses to condemn anti-Semitism on their side. Here's a list of all of the left-wingers or Democrat leaders who have escaped any of the intense scrutiny that President Trump has gotten in the last four days. These Democrats are either pushers of anti-Semitism or refuse to condemn their Jew-hating associates. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Linda Sarsour, and Tamika Mallory, who were featured speakers at a Democrat convention, uh, BLM protests that featured Jew hatred, Louis Farrakhan, Cory Booker, Minnesota AG Keith Ellison, Democrats Maxine Waters and Barbara Lee, with Majority Whip James Clyburn explaining why anti-Semitism is acceptable from women of color. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. In fact, Klansman David Duke has praised Ilhan Omar for her Jew hatred. And known bigot Richard Spencer endorsed Biden in his run for president. And the list goes on. On this very program, Democrat attorney Alan Dershowitz has sounded the alarm over the growing anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party, yet 
The biased press suppresses that condemnation and coverage of Democrat hate. MSNBS, a channel that only condemns anti-Semitism when it benefits their left-wing politics, concluded their evaluation of Trump's dinner. Just my last point here, um, Ben Shapiro, who is probably not often quoted on this network or many networks as saying something um, that a lot of people will agree with. He said the best way to not have a dinner with an anti-Semite you don't know is to not have a dinner with an anti-Semite you do know. So uh, I yeah. thought that was actually a, a it, pretty useful point. It was a good tweet, but it, it goes in the category, um, Claire McCaskill, of how bad is it? It's so bad that that guy attacked you. Mm, she couldn't even say Ben Shapiro's name. Wow, that's the level of respect that MSNBS's Nicole Wallace has for a conservative Jewish man, Ben Shapiro. She calls him that guy. Last podcast, we talked about Twitter, and we have Twitter too now. Um, it's an interesting story, but the media was a buzz. Here's Joel Roth, which you'll hear after we listen to the media talk about Twitter. In fact, I'm going to put him up front. Let's just listen to this guy and tell me this guy was in charge of safety. Everything that he doesn't believe in is violence. One of the things you said at one point, you tweeted that Twitter was actually safer under Elon. Do you feel, still feel that way? I don't. We, you know, it's, it's funny. In the, in the days shortly after the acquisition, a bunch of things happened. But one of them, predictably, because it's the internet, was that a trolling campaign emerged. Mm -hmm. um, and a number of trolls, and you could sort of watch the organization happen on 4chan. So this is all happening in public. They were like, let's go to Twitter and test the new limits of Elon Musk. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite enjoying my Chinese porn, but go ahead. Keep going. That's, a, that's another thing. Yeah, but, um, I'm aware. <laughs> but the troll campaign sort of emerged very rapidly, mm -hmm. and it I think was initially received as being an authentic surge in hateful activity on Twitter, which is a reasonable hypothesis. It, it turns out not to have been borne out by what we were actually seeing on the service, but a core, kind of taking a step back, a core principle for me of doing trust and safety work is you have to be able to measure it. You have to understand what the shape of the problem is. You have to be able to quantify it, which is really hard, and you need to know if you're doing anything that's impactful. And Twitter has struggled deeply with measurement in the trust and safety space for years. But when we started thinking about this trolling campaign and about hateful conduct and the prevalence of, of racial slurs on the service, that's an empirical research question. And we studied it. And we looked at it and we understood what the baseline prevalence of this activity was. I tweeted a graph that showed clearly there was a thing that happened. The thing that happened was a trolling campaign. And we shut down the trolling campaign. And we took steps to build technology that addressed that type of conduct automatically and proactively. And measurably, it reduced the prevalence of hateful conduct on Twitter relative to the pre-troll campaign baseline. Sure. Which is great. I, like, that unequivocally All is right. a win for trust. So why is it not safe now? Trust and safety is an adaptive space. Um, Nina Jankowitz has, has talked about the concept of malign creativity, the notion that people are not sitting still, they are 
actively devising new ways to be horrible on the internet. Mm -hmm. And the, the work of internet sanitation is trying to understand that and ideally staying a couple of steps ahead of it. Yeah, Steve Huffman of Reddit talked about this. Exactly. It's persistently malevolent people who do not have, that's their job. Yes, mostly malevolent teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, Shane Huntley of Google has talked about uh, APTs, usually advanced persistent threats in the security world as being uh, advanced persistent teenagers, and they truly are. But you know, you, you can't rest on your laurels when it comes to that, and that's why we had a trust and safety team. You can't use ML for all of it. You can't automate it. There is no set it and forget it when it comes to trust and safety. And I think Twitter's challenge going forward is not, you know, can the platform build machine learning? Sure, they can. But are there enough people who understand the emergent malicious campaigns that happen on the service and understand it well enough to guide product strategy and policy direction? And I don't think that there are enough people left at the company who can do that work to keep pace with And what's what about happening. when the company itself removes? They're not going to be uh, doing COVID and misinformation anymore. Yeah. I, it's just easier to do that, right? Like, oh, it's, we're just not going to watch for it. You know, I, one way of, of streamlining the work of trust and safety, I guess, is to have fewer rules. I, I will, like, chalk up a minor win in that space. They announced that they were going to do it. Like, that's something. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't really expecting clear announcements about policy changes. We've seen one, which is good. Um, unfortunately, the policy change is really bad and damaging. But, um, you know, it, you can certainly streamline things. But that doesn't mean that malicious activity is going to get less complicated. It doesn't mean trolls are going to stop. You can't bury right. your head in the sand. Well, no, I don't think they're burying. I think their, their policy is, fuck it, I don't care, like kind of thing. That's my feeling on that. I don't, I don't know think that's going to be tenable going forward. Right? Well, so in, in my piece in The Times, I was talking mm -hmm. about, like, even if you wanted a policy that is, fuck it, Mm -hmm. You can't. Like, you simply cannot do that if you are operating what you want to be a commercially viable consumer service. And the answer might be, you don't care and you're going to burn it to the ground. But assuming your goal isn't to burn it to the ground, there are limits. There have to be limits. Unless you're trying to burn it just a little bit in order to get the bankers out. But then that's, that's, that's a theory we talked about. On November 9th, you and Elon seemed to line in that Twitter space as the next year were gone. What happened in that 24-hour period? So. There were a lot of things that, that were going on concurrently, right? So you, if you look to you know, the day that I resigned, what's more instructive is the week leading up to it, right? So let's tally a couple of the things that happened in that week. Mm -hmm. Let's start with one that was going to happen anyway. There were elections in the United States. And you know, the, the hallmark of doing a good job in trust and safety is nothing goes spectacularly wrong. And certainly, the, the midterm elections were not free of disinformation. They were not free of malicious activity. But nothing went spectacularly wrong on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And that means that we did a good job. So we were doing that work. That was, that was our focus area to begin with. But then we'd also had massive layoffs. Not as significant within my organization as, as at the rest of the company, but there's an ambient environment of that, of layoffs, of organizational change. So that's another one. There was the return to office email. If you've ever wondered how you know, the work of platform governance takes place within a corporate setting, the answer is it's all of the worst of corporate environments and all of the worst of the internet mushed together. And so you have people who should be spending their time thinking about how to deal with hateful conduct who instead are wondering, 
how do I, do, do I really need to go to the office? I don't live anywhere near a Twitter office. Am I still employed? And so you have all of the HR related stress on mm -hmm. top of this. And then there's verification. So We're gonna get to that. <laughs> that product launches and adds additional layers. Which and you dimension. warned them about, which you warned would have, everybody warned them. It was, it was obvious. And, you know, I, let, me, let me take a step back and again, try to interpret this as generously as I can. There is underneath all of the work on verification, a theory that if you increase the costs for malicious activity, the, the pay me $8 thing, that some people will say, yeah, you know what, what I'm doing here is not worth $8. That's the basic theory of spam fighting. It's as old as the internet, and it's increase the costs on your adversary to a point where they go away. That is absolutely right. The problem is that the way that it was rolled out and the way that it was implemented, and especially the dynamics of an extremely online, trolling-heavy platform like Twitter, is that it went exactly off the rails in the way that we anticipated, and there weren't the safeguards that needed to be in place to address it up front. And so then you have that as well. Right, so what did, what did, how did you make the decision? You go home, say to your spouse? You know, I, um, it was not an easy decision. Uh, and I, I ultimately, uh, I was weighing the pros and cons on an ongoing basis. I knew what my limits were. And by the time that I, I chose to leave, I realized that um, even if I spent all day, every day, trying to avert whatever the next disaster was, there were going to be the ones that got through. And Blue Verification got through over written advice prepared by my team and others at Twitter we knew what was going to happen. It's not that, that it was a surprise. It failed in exactly the way so we it, said it. It got through because Elon just wanted to do it and, and the people around him supported him, which, uh, which they're called by a lot of people the flying monkeys. So a lot of the shit was thrown by the flying monkeys, correct? And then it, and then it happened. And then it it happened. happened because he willed it to happen. And that sort of, um, I think in, in the case of Steve Jobs, people called it the reality distortion field. I think there was an element of that, but you, you can't distort the reality of what happened Steve on Steve Jobs Twitter. made m decisions with a group of people much more than people think. And here, however it was made, by whomever it was made, it was a bad decision. And it was a decision made against Who made expert it? advice. Who made that decision? I mean, ultimately, you, when you call yourself chief twit, you're accountable for the decisions, whether yeah. they're good or bad. And you said it's the reason I those are the people that are there. That's how I get suspended for saying trans people have mental illness and shouldn't be in the army because every other mental illness precludes service. What happened post was epic. The media, and I'm not going to read all these, but Ben Collins is a big one. Uh, Mehdi Hassan, stuff is image now. Image volunteering to do online PR work for the world's richest man on Friday night and serves the nakedly and cynically right-wing narratives and then pretending you're speaking truth to power. Ben Collins. Imagine throwing it all away to do PR work. It was just everybody. Talibi thread PR for the world's richest. PR for Mike Luciano. Um, the next slide is a bunch of them. Talibi went from fierce and intrepid journalist to PR for the world's richest man. It goes on. Elon Musk paid $44 billion to discover we already knew content moderation is messy and involves whole teams of people with a range of viewpoints. No, you're wrong. You didn't have a range of viewpoints. You had one viewpoint. That viewpoint was 
anti-con, silence everything we don't agree with, the bulwark with Bill Crystal and the fucking ex-cons. No, you don't have a constitutional right to post Hunter Biden's dick pic. They distilled it down to dick pics. Even Mediate, the 27 most embarrassing reaction to Talibi threat, and they cover Collins, Hayes, uh, Elias Sapita, Simon Owens, Jason Schroer, Waji Hali, and it's it goes on, and every one of them is the same fucking comment. I mean, look at this. It is what they do for everything. It is amazing how coordinated they can be on subjects and everybody cranks out the same fucking shit. And then by the end of the week, you get this. Media winners here. Once again, it's getting ugly. It seems as though every news giant in the shrinking towards 2023 through the end of the year layoff, hiring freezes, otherwise Dixiezian austerity. Headline news is gone. Dead spins cutting more people. New York Times just walked out. I didn't get this screenshot, so I'll read it. So what ended up happening at Twitter, too? We can now tell you part of the reason why on Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired, among the reasons vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. The process of producing the Twitter files was on delivery of two journalists, Barry Weiss and me, via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the initial batch, things became complicated. Over the weekend, while we were both dealt with the obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing it was Jim Baker. What did he do? He suppressed it. Remember, he's the guy that pushed Russia collusion. So he went from the FBI being a partisan piece of shit, working for Twitter, being a partisan piece of shit. But Collins, Elon's team, is just creating new main characters for Fox News accused of treason. This is about creating pariahs to launch a mob against an order to ironically suppress speech. Suppress speech. It's so bad that people have been sleeping in Twitter headquarters so... San Francisco building inspector is going to investigate them. New York Times gave Yoel Roth. I was head of trust and safety. It's horrible. They can't allow one thing to get by. Now we find in FOIA docs... Biden's disinfo board, internal reach, Facebook connections, it was going on and they lied. It never stopped. They were doing it, whether you wanted it or not. So here is Tucker's Biden investigation he's doing, which I watched with number one. It's really good. Watch two today. And then you'll hear the rest of the army, the army of journalists who just fucking can't allow Twitter to turn 
anything but far left. I think to see, to own the that you've done is yes, more to important than worrying about the articles that are going to come out. You yeah, know, I do. I do. I do. I think what, it's more important for you, for you to recognize the damage you've done to your family. The president's son, Hunter Biden. The investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden has nothing to offer a Chinese businessman. So that immediately raises the question of what are these Chinese officials paying for? Everybody's looked at it and said there's nothing there. Ask the right question. There are hundreds of data points that Joe Biden was acting in a capitalistic term, I would say the chairman. My son has not made money. The chairman serves a purpose. I know why we have held together. That was Joe Biden's role in the Biden family business. Yeah, I thought the article released the thing on online. It's going to be printed one time. It's good. I need to clear. I'm Miranda Devine. I'm Peter Schweitzer. My name is Tony Bobulinski, and I'm a former business partner of Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, and indirectly Joe Biden. You're just going to just bury all of us, man. Hey, I'm not in the books, but I think pretty much. <laughs> sounds like pretty much. No, it's it's been pretty disastrous. I mean, I, I think the thing, the thing that I actually have that has been clarifying for me, I think there was, first of all, it felt a little bit like an impulse purchase. Yeah. Like he was at the cash register and yeah. there was like a $44 billion social media company. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was weird that he, it was the most imp expensive impulse purchase of all time. Um, I, I think that what he has been doing with the platform now is actually very clarifying to me because it wasn't, about the business and it wasn't an impulse purchase, it was an ideological purchase. And as long as there have been rich people, and as long as there have been rich people and capitalism plus a free press, there have been rich people who buy media outlets for ideological purposes. What are your thoughts on all of this tomfoolery over the last 24 hours? I guess with Musk is to prove that, hey, I'm the right kind of Republican, meaning I'm a Trump Republican, I'm a uh, you know, election denying Republican. I, I don't know what kind of Republican he is. I mean, probably next year he'll be an independent or a Democrat, depending on how the wind blows. Um, but the re but the reality of it is uh, putting those things back on the platform uh, it juxtaposition with the argument that he's all about free speech um, really undermines the central some of the central tenets of free speech is that. It is, it is about, yes, the freedom of you to say things, but not at the harm or expense of someone else. And so when you're perpetuating lies and, and, and so forth, um, you're really kind of laughing in the face of this idea of what the platform he claims is supposed to be. For the party, um, they love it. I mean, they got, they got the world, one of the world's richest men, uh, helping them uh, foment the kind of distrust of the system uh, and disinformation um, where their fingerprints don't necessarily have to be on it. Mm, like a little plausible deniability, if you will. Okay, yeah, well, well then, Elon said. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't me, it was Elon. Okay. I want to ask you about what he did today. He, Elon Musk. He spent the majority of his day promoting a heavily criticized thread, Twitter thread, about the laptop of Hunter Biden, a private citizen, someone who is obviously the son of President Biden, but who is not a government official. Can you explain this whole thing to us? Sure. Um, so background in 2020, there was a New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, mm -hmm. When that came out, it was suggesting that somehow Hunter Biden, the president's son, um, was trading uh, his closeness with the president to um, gain money and, and, a, and a position in Ukraine. Um, 
when that came out, we now know it was a really helpful thing, actually, the Twitter files today, because we got to see how content moderation works. We got to see how when a group of people with differing political ideas and ideologies and views gets together in the spirit of making a platform safe and healthy and right before an election, right when we knew we had just learned of like the hack and leaks and WikiLeaks and all the stuff that that did to hurt um, and to affect the 2020 election, the 2016 election in 2020, they were heightened, right? People were trying to do the right thing inside Twitter. And it looked, this weird story of a laptop left in some like repair shop, it looked like a hack and leak. That's what people inside Twitter thought it was. And so they acted a little fast. And we heard that from um, Yoel Roth, the former head mm -hmm. of Trust and Safety, two days ago on Kara Swisher's podcast. He said that. He didn't agree with the idea. The day after it happened, Jack came out and said, I didn't agree with what happened. That happened too quickly. Because content moderation is a human activity. It's stuff that we do as humans to, you know, fulfill the North Star of whatever. Researchers are warning that hate speech and harassment have increased dramatically since Elon Musk took over the platform and that they worry that while one man is being pushed out, a wave far worse is being ushered in. Just five weeks after Elon Musk took over Twitter, this morning the billionaire's vision for the platform is coming into focus as questions over free speech versus hate speech swirl. Kanye, Kanye. While the suspension of recording artist Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, from the platform has captured headlines, hundreds of Twitter accounts belonging to far-right activists and QAnon theorists have been reinstated, according to data reviewed by NBC News. People who know how to play the game in the white supremacist spaces, who know how to get people radicalized subtly over time, those are the people that are coming back. Andrew Anglin, the founder of one of the most influential neo-Nazi websites, just one of hundreds of formerly banned users, now back on the platform after Musk's Thanksgiving tweet that amnesty begins next week. Meanwhile, the billionaire cutting the company staff, including those dedicated to monitoring abuse and hate speech. Musk is setting a tone of permissibility for the kind of behavior that had people shown the door in the first place. After Musk acquired the site, slurs against black Americans tripled and anti-Semitic tweets soared more than 61%. We then see that the media, if it's not Trump, they still have to keep making the case for the Biden administration and their agenda that there's this huge cabal of white supremacist bad guys. So I went on the dark side of Twitter. Here's Kathleen B uh, Bishu. Since the crunchy alt-right pipeline is a conversation people may be interested in the longer history of white power movement investment and crunch, crunchiness, whole thing. Then we get, in Germany, a real white supremacist Nazi group was arrested because they were going to overthrow the government. By the end of the day, we have incorporated QAnon-inspired... And we're not arresting those people, even though they arrested so many, but it's not enough. Then we get this. Source tells John Miller police are zeroing in on domestic violent extremism as a possible motive of the North Carolina electric substation attacks. Looking into extremist encouraging attacks on critical infrastructure and recent disruption of LGBTQ events across the nation by extremists. Who are the extremists? People that don't want their kids to do these fucking drag queen fucking story hours. 
They're not extremists. They're mom and dads. But they literally were incorporating that a bunch of guys are running around, a bunch of rednecks, and they're going, I hate faggots. Let's go knock out the power. Seriously. That was what they thought. And they, it was all over Twitter. Here's another thread. I see that many of those who don't live in Germany are not aware of the Reichsburger Imperial Citizens far-left right movement as its members are arrested today for the alleged preparation of a coup. Let me start this thread on the details of this conspiracy theory. And they go down, and through this whole thing, he's equating it to QAnon. He's equating it to every fucking thing that they can do to get mega or anybody who doesn't vote the way they want to as these far left guys or far right guys an overwhelming majority of white evangelical Christians voted for Hunter Walker a man who paid for abortions lied allegedly physically threatened and traumatized his wife on fronts for Trump a criminal vulgarian the religion is white supremacy not Christianity that was a big theme too if you don't Vote our way. You're bad. You had lefties literally tweeting this. Just let people steal. We went to get clear coat for my wife. It's behind a case now because of huffing and stealing. And while this was going on, Nets ignore Alexander Ocasio-Cortez under congressional ethics investigation who led leads it the left pursuing house rules of clause committee and acting chairwoman and acting ranking member of the committee on ethics have joined decided to extend the matter regarding representative aoc which was transmitted to committee by the office of congressional ethics the committee said the press release the committee notes that the mere fact of referral or extension to mandatory disclosure such extension the name is of the committee the release ended the committee did not specify why did to warrant being under investigation but you could take a guess. And remember, as we're going through all this, and this is just a short little vignette because it's a long podcast. I could have linked so many tweets and so many conversations where they, you know, they're still in election mode. They, they still can't shut it off. They got to make everybody who doesn't see the world like them evil, violent people. Look at this picture. The sycophancy. I got another one of a lady that, do I have that? Let me see. Let me get this other one really quick and put it in because it's just amazing. So last night I'm on Twitter and and I'm getting all the, I get this Joe lady. I keep getting these lefties because it's election time. So they put liberals in your feed. This is another paid one. This is sycophancy. They talk about mega and the cult, but look at that. It's a cult. They're just in love with these people. And I don't understand because they're just people. They're politicians. They're liars. They're crooks. They'll say anything. They have no backbone. They're charlatans. Nobody has ever been, oh my God, I'm so, he's a a politician. 
But these people, my God in heaven, what is wrong with you? So our media jerk-off, you think it'd be Twitter, you think it'd be all these, but there is a case before the Supreme Court right now that is really important because it's basically saying we had to bake the cake guy. Well, in Colorado, these far-left groups, these trans-LGBT mafia keep going after these people, and they are literally going to any place that's religious and getting them canceled. That's what they do. So this latest one is a website developer, and she doesn't want to make some website for this gay marriage because she's Christian. And, well, I'll just play the sound bites. The media, wow, they really hate Christians. I love politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Let's welcome Dahlia Lithwick, Slate senior editor and legal correspondent. She's also an MSNBC law and politics analyst and the very, very best at this topic. I'm so glad you're with us tonight. What did you take away from today's arguments? A a couple things. One, uh, as you said, it was very, very clear that if there's a principled distinction between allowing people to opt out of public accommodation laws because they don't like same-sex marriage, I couldn't hear a principled distinction between that and people who don't like interracial marriage, who don't like uh, adoption, who don't like all sorts of things. I think the answer to that question each time it was posed was some version of, well, but that would be racist, uh, which is not in fact a principled answer. The other thing that was really striking today, Stephanie, was the sort of levity at the court, there was just a whole bunch of silliness, kind of dumb hypotheticals, really kind of rollicking good times, talking about Ashley Madison and- At what point can someone say, I'm an artist and not really be one? My question really is, what is art? I mean, obviously I'm not disparaging your art form. I had a wedding website. I understand it. It's a whole thing. Um, I know you're an artist, but what is to distinguish you from somebody saying, well, you know what, look, My macaroni and cheese in this restaurant is a work of art. This pie is a work of art. The way that I sell, have make my clothing in this boutique, works of art. So you know what? I don't want somebody in here who's gay, who's black, who's Jewish, who's disabled. What is the line that distinguishes, say, you from the artist that somebody could, under the auspices of saying they're an artiste, do the same thing? Do you have those concerns? Well, I I can only speak to myself and and I've made it clear, I work with everyone. I have clients who identify as LGBT, and what I'm seeking is that the court step in to protect everyone's right to speak freely. 
The court has already determined these tests. Every free speech case determines whether it's speech or conduct. The law is well established to determine that. Is a message being communicated? Is it in a medium that we're used to seeing that we know? Words, texts, and graphics? That's speech. If we're talking about some macaroni and cheese dish, that's not speech. And that's an easy call for the court to make. Lori is trying to say, what the, what the website designer is trying to say, is that she has a content-based reason to discriminate against the messages um, that she's willing to do and she is right to have that content-based discrimination however what she's doing is going for status-based discrimination so she's trying to say that gay people can't come into my store right not that she because as I, I guess we all been saying no gay person is asking her to do anything right? right but she's trying to say that gay people can't even come into your store and that's something that's something that takes us right back to the Jim Crow era well, because it used to be that the you know that the, the the racist lunch counter people were just like I have an objection I have a religious objection to black people at my store. You can't say that. We've we've moved beyond that. People like Sam Alito are trying to take us back there. It seems to me that you've got this weird perverse thing happening in the court, if I can sort of step back when you look at the First Amendment, which is we think about the First Amendment sort of protecting rights, and obviously it protects rights in a complicated way because some rights are in tension within the umbrella of the First Amendment. But going back to, say, Citizens United, right, which is a First Amendment case, this sort of use of the First Amendment as this kind of, like, weapon for the dominant group versus the marginalized group, for the powerful rich billionaires versus the voters and public's public interest, where, like, all of a sudden this thing looks like it's being used by this particular majority on behalf. This law simply requires businesses that serve the general public to serve everyone. That's been a cornerstone of civil rights law for decades. And the implications of this case are potentially huge, not just limited to the LGBTQ community. Uh, what if... Uh, what if a photographer refuses to take pictures of immigrant school children because he opposes uh, I immigration in this country? That is the kind of question that long thought settled, but perhaps no more. But the liberals pushed back hard, just as Sonia Sotomayor grilling Smith's lawyer about other issues where people might have religious or ideological objections. You're saying, I don't want to serve a particular person. And Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who, like Justice Clarence Thomas, the court's other black justice, is married to a white person, said history shows religion has been used to justify discrimination. Many of the questions raised in court today were thought to have been settled long ago during the civil rights era by public accommodation laws, which were passed after lunch counter sit-ins and other protests against business. And those laws required businesses that serve the general public to serve all equally. This, this court, this case could change that and more. This is and the state of Colorado is saying, you must set aside your beliefs to communicate a message that goes against what you believe. That should be uh, frightening to all of us. Nobody should be forced to communicate a message that goes against the core of who they are. Well, here's what's interesting. No one has asked her to create anything. No one has, she hasn't done it. This is a hypothetical, okay? Yeah. So the Supreme Court conservatives seem poised to agree with her. But here's what I want to know. Whose religious freedom are we protecting? Because she's pooping on my religious freedom. The whole idea in the Constitution in, about freedom from religious beliefs is that you don't have to subscribe to your neighbor's belief. That's the beauty of it. I can believe what I believe. You can believe what you believe. Now, I understand some people may not want to do certain things, but let's put it like this. I get hit by a car in the middle of the Colorado's winter wonderland thing. <laughs>
and I'm taken to a hospital where a doctor says, well, I don't like her politics. I don't want to work on her. Where's that? What, what's being protected there? See, this, we've been through this. And the outcome of this is people saying, I don't want to serve you because you're black. I don't want to serve you because you're gay. I don't want to serve you because you're a woman. You're not acting the way a woman should. So whose who's rights are we protecting? And what the hell is going on with the Supreme Court that they don't recognize what this is? I do get Sonny's point that it's a slippery slope, though, because at what point do we make sure it doesn't go over into racial discrimination or into, you know, other aspects of speech? But I do think the state doesn't have a right to compel you to do speech that you disagree with. Well, but we're when we talk about speech, you know, we listen to people talk about free speech all the time. And freedom. And freedoms. Yeah. So, except when it comes to stuff they don't like. Mm -hmm. You know, now I, I get, you know, listen, if somebody comes into my bakery and wants me to <laughs> make a swastika on a cake, I'm going to say, actually, I'm not going to do that because to me, that is just anti-human being. I, I don't believe in the Nazi party and you can go over there where right. they will make it for you, and but I'm not going to do it here. Semitic, and so I would yes. argue that it's protected. Yes, it should be well. protected. Yes. I think the religion... Uh, look, Department of Justice said uh, in its brief that for decades, non-discrimination public accom accommodations laws have coexisted with the First Amendment. Uh, courts have recognized that we can recognize that we can require businesses of open to public to service people regardless of their backgrounds, even when that means businesses must incidentally um, uh, engage in speech which they are which they disagree upon.
Also, before I let you go, ask about uh, Israel. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu is on trial for corruption, but he right now is trying to piece together an alliance to form a government. If he does, he'll become prime minister again. I know you know this. Um, but he's been allying himself with figures who have spewed anti-Arab, anti-gay hate, as well as discrimination against non-Orthodox Jews. One of them wants to cancel gay pride parades. At least two have called for mass deportations of Palestinians, including the man who may head Israel's police force. Doesn't this makeup really jeopardize your intention to have peace in the region? Margaret, um, we have worked and will continue to work with Israeli governments of uh, every kind, just as Israeli governments have worked with American administrations of every kind. Um, and we're determined to do that going forward. Uh, our focus is less on personalities and more on policies. Uh, the important thing is what policies uh, does the government pursue? Uh, the government, or the incoming government at least, uh, knows uh, our views on a number of these issues, but uh, we have an absolute uh, commitment to Israel's security. That's not going to change. Uh, and as we always have in the past, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll speak directly to each other. Uh, we'll be very clear about what we think and what we believe with our Israeli allies. I'm sure they'll do the same. And again, we'll focus on the policies, not the... Yeah, apparently the term toxic masculinity comes up a lot these days, but women took to Reddit to talk about when they faced toxic femininity from other women, like being told to act like a lady or getting bullied by other moms. Is this something you are aware of? <laughs> Oh, wait, before we begin, let me tell you something. I think we have a legal note from the werewolves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it is real, though. We, we've come a long way in kind of critiquing some of the, the male practices that are not helpful and that needed to be called out. And I think that women have made a ton of progress, but we can also be each other's worst enemies. <laughs> it's still the case, and I hate to say it, some of the worst bosses I've had have been women and sometimes colleagues in the workplace who are women. And I always think of the Madeleine Albright quote. Well, that's There's what a... happens when you work with Kellyanne Conway. Oh. I mean, well, I, I can't really get a word in without you attacking me, so I wouldn't say this is a oh, I haven't totally like different. This isn't like a totally different environment of women supporting each other. But Madeleine Albright's always said, uh, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help and support other women. Right. And something I try to live by. I think that we have a duty to kind of give that back, especially for the women who come after us. Oh, and I have to say, I have to give Whoopi credit. You've been just like so supportive of all the women on this show because you've accomplished so much. And we're all coming up under you and just looking up to you. And I, I think I'm glad you said that because women support women more than they don't. But I think it's worth acknowledging when we are hard on each other. Well, so yeah. Eric, how do you see that allies can do better in the face of this? Stand up and call out hate when you see it. Have in your conversations with friends and family who might be conservative, please try to get them to stand up. And I want to communicate to the people at who are working at Fox News and 
people who are booking people on these shows, like Tucker Carlson had gays against groomers. That is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And some of you are members of the LGBTQ community. Please, please stop, because this is manifesting itself in very hateful ways, and people are getting... Yeah, they're just fucking hateful. Here's a good story. A huge wave of fucking limb men are getting vasectomies, so at least they won't be reproducing. I mean, that that's pretty good. Then we got, has Sam Britton's story always been too good to be true? Now, this is from LGBT, LGBTQ Nation, and they're embarrassed by dude, because he's embarrassing. Mindy Colling says, so much of The Office wouldn't fly today. That show is so inappropriate now, and it's so true, because in our new world, this is a thing. Shark Week. Shark Week is too overrepresented. Lacks diversity. There's not enough black gay dude chicks going after sharks. Lefties did things like this. Christy Allen dead. She was great and Drop Dead Gorgeous and okay on Cheers. She was a QAnon mega-supporting Scientology's loon who pushed every COVID-19 conspiracy she could. So deuces. Looked like everybody suddenly forgot that she went full hardcore mega. Christy Alley did not care about other people dying when she was lying about vaccines and mass. You're all garbage people. Garbage. And to show that it's a growing trend, here is a post about a restaurant. It's in Virginia. Virginia's got problems because it was going to be a Christian ministry private party and they canceled because liberal mob, mobs got all upset. American Girl is, I guess, a magazine. It's stripping away all the innocence of the book that teaches children as young as three how to change gender by asking doctors for puberty blockers. That's the thing. Lists resources for organizations that children could turn to if your parents aren't good parents. Because, yeah, we need this. Joe Walsh is woke now. Charlotte Carmer made him into gay stuff. Yeah, that's nice. Kirk Cameron went out. He wanted to do a book tour in libraries, but it's a Christian book. So they denied it. No media covered that. It's not an important story. You can have dudes with dicks, but you can't talk about God. Jason Rantz, beloved Seattle restaurant, suffers 18th break-in by thieves. The Democrats enabled. Serafina, which I went to oh so long ago. Mm. So let's do our trans craziness. I got that dude Mulvaney. I got Levine. I got a lot. There's even a picture at the end, which I love, which is of somebody showing a ball. It's at a science place. The science. And the ball doesn't fit through the dude pelvis because we're not made to have babies. But women are. So a lot of crazy in this. I just post it. I'm just the messenger. Hey Blue, look at all these families. Hi families, 
it's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. We need to have these conversations that question the assumptions that are underlying today's attacks on trans people. Pushing back the veil of ignorance demands this extra effort. And this is, a ch this is the challenge before our profession. For almost 40 years now, I have considered an honor to be a doctor. I believe in our role as healers. I believe in our role as truth tellers. And the truth that we need to confront now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around this country that destroys human lives. And we have reached a tipping point for the role in medicine and civic life for the health and well-being of LGBTQI plus youth and other Americans. Those who attack our community are driven by an agenda of politics. It has nothing to do with medicine. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, or understanding. They are rejecting the value of supportive medicine, rejecting well-established science, and simply rejecting basic human compassion. Day 271 of being a girl, or I'll say woman for this one, because this video is for the women on Twitter who just really don't like me. Hello, ladies. We got a lot to cover, but let's first talk tampons. I haven't talked about tampons on here lately because I don't use them. I'm a woman who doesn't have a uterus. I know this. And science was my strongest subject in high school. I was also shockingly good at math, but I digress. I just sometimes carry one in case anybody needs it. And that seems to have just set the world on fire in some pretty nasty ways. And this is a conversation that's been going on for months. I just haven't chimed in because I'm so tired of sticking up for myself over something that was so pure intentioned. But now Twitter is just ablaze. And this week, there's some women that are now coming for Tampax. And I wanted to clear the air. So I have some amazing news. Are you ready? I have never worked with Tampax before. The most that happened was they sent me a few boxes of tampons back in April, just in case I bumped into anyone, um, including yourselves, and I gave them all away. I've got a few left. And this one's really gonna blow your mind. I have never made $1 off of feminine hygiene products. So I hope that helps you sleep better at night knowing that. And no need to bring Tampax into this, but the bigger problem at hand is that you feel me carrying a tampon around is a threat to you and your womanhood. How is someone doing something nice so repulsive to you? Because listen to this, if a man, whether he was your boyfriend or your husband, could even be your gay best friend, kept a tampon for you at his house just in case you needed it, you'd gosh. Hey, Miss Reed back here, Texas teacher with tip number two for creating safe and welcoming places for your LGBTQIA plus students. Remember that yesterday we talked about having uh, the incorporation of a pride flag or pin or something in your classroom so that your students can see that you are supportive of their identities. Uh, tip number two today is that you uh, may want to share your pronouns with your students. And when you do that, that opens up that line of communication to let those students who may have pronouns that are different than what is on the school roster to come to you and share their pronouns with you and share their name with you if it does not match with what is on the school roster. I highly suggest doing that. It's something as simple as, hi, 
good morning everyone my name is miss reed my pronouns are she her and it's simple quick easy and it opens up that line of safety and communication for your students welcome back you old snack this is part two of learning about a air airs neo pronouns to hear about the history and origin of these neo pronouns head back to my account now we're going to practice a is from baltimore originally then a moved to new york city for a few years now a lives in la with air two cats have you seen Air artwork yet? A loves working with pouring paints and watercolors. A has made all of these herself. In fact, you can support Air by purchasing artwork. Head to pookalookatooka.com. A hopes this practice helps. A knows that learning new words is difficult already, let alone how hard it is to unlearn how we operate and how we think about ourselves and those around us. But A is so grateful you stayed so long to practice with Air, and A hopes you come back for more pronoun lessons with Pookalookatooka. So we now know that trauma like just makes it almost infinitely harder to learn when you're a child. And we also now know that systemic racism is essentially an adverse childhood experience. And many researchers qualify systemic racism as an adverse childhood experience, which means that children who are black and brown in our schools are expected to be excellent while suffering from complex PTSD. And on top of that, we're also expecting these students to be excellent in a space that is actively hostile to them, their way of being, who they are as people, their history, their ancestors, everything. All right, this one is for International Pronouns Day and just for the healthcare professionals on TikTok. So if you're not a healthcare professional, keep scrolling or whatever, I can't tell you what to do. We have got to start making pronouns a standard part of our patient intake forms. Here's the new patient packet that I use for new patients. And if you just scroll down, third question, there it is. It's as simple as this. Which pronouns would you prefer that we use when talking about you? She, her, hers, he, him, his, they, them, theirs, or other. And then a space to specify if you choose other. It's really that simple. I'm in a privileged position where I'm running the practice, so I can say whatever I want in my new patient form. But it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, nurse, healthcare administrator, CNA, pharmacy tech, OT, PT, respiratory therapist, anyone. Check out your new patient forms, and if there's not a space to write pronouns, ask the person in charge of it. It's usually not intentional, but it can make a big difference. Please stop scrolling if you or someone that you love wants top surgery. I got top surgery in August of 2022, so this year, um, and I don't regret top surgery, but I do regret who I got surgery with, and I need to talk about it. The reason it's so important that this is on TikTok is because so is she. She has a massive platform, and her name is Dr. Gallagher. Four days after top surgery with Dr. Gallagher, my top surgery incision split open and started bleeding. At first she said that it was just bruising and then when she saw me in person the day before I flew home, um, she said that it was fluid buildup and that it had to just bleed out on its own through the open wound. I flew back to Ohio and the bleeding did not stop. I was waking up to blood all over my clothes and sheets every single day. I could barely move or leave the house. At one point, I did decide a couple weeks after surgery to go out with some friends. I was slow, I was careful, and about halfway through the night, a blood clot the size of a golf ball fell out of me. I was rushed to the emergency room. I was in tachycardia by the time I got there. They admitted me and paged their plastic surgery team. 
The resident there took a photo and I sent that photo as well as the blood clot to Dr. Gallagher. She replied back and made a joke that I was menstruating and said I didn't need to go to the ER, even though I'd already gone. The next day I woke up and the hole in my incision had collapsed into a black hollow cavity. There was discolored tissue spilling out of it um, and it looked like it was gonna open more. There was also another hole farther back on the incision that was starting to rip. I took photos, graphic photos of my body and I sent them to Gallagher in a panic. At this point, I reached out to a local top surgeon uh, and sent him my photos. He squeezed me in first thing the next morning and when I saw him, he said that by sight alone, he could tell that it was severely infected. He was really angry with Dr. Gallagher and he told me that she didn't give a shit about me. He said I would need surgery that Friday, so three days later. When I got home from that appointment, I opened my email to see Dr. Gallagher's response, expecting her to urge me to go seek a second opinion given the complications that I was having. And instead she told me it was looking good and that it wasn't infected. I was put under anesthesia for a second surgery on the 2nd of September and they took out over half a foot of dead, rotten tissue from my left side of my body. The doctors told me that I could have gone septic and that this bacteria has a very high mortality rate. Gallagher had told me to do absolutely nothing about it. If I had listened to her, I would be dead. They gave me an extra large drain and I had to have it in for over three weeks. When I shared my story on Twitter, I got countless replies from people expressing that they had similar issues with Gallagher, including others who almost died. Please share this, please stay safe. Medium article with the details is in my bio. Hi, I'm Jack. My pronouns are they, them, and I identify as trans and non-binary. Here are three things you can do to support trans children in your school. Number one, be a visible trans ally. There are lots of ways to do this, from having trans-inclusive flags in your classroom to having trans-inclusive storybooks on your bookshelves. Number two, stop unnecessarily gendering things in your school. This ranges from easy changes, like not grouping children into boys and girls, to not having gendered uniforms. Consider how excluded trans and especially non-binary children and staff may feel about gendered spaces and policies. And number three, teach children about pronouns, what they are, how we use them, and why they're important. This allows trans people to not be singled out for their pronouns, and instead makes pronouns part of the norm. That's a lot of freaky. A lot of freaky. This picture is really troubling. And I want to expound upon it for a while because in 2007, there were two gender clinics, East Coast. If you look at 2022, and I want to expand just that. Let me see if I can do that without being a total clusterfuck. There we go. Look at that. As Matt in Oregon said rightly, because I sent this picture, where are they at? Red states, middle of the country. Do you think any of this is not by design? Do you not think they're doing this to influence children and change them 
thus changing parents, enforcing an ideological... You know what I'm saying? I'm talking like Biden today. This agenda. You expect the West Coast to be dotted in the Northeast. But look at Tennessee, Florida, fucking Iowa. And now you know why it's a fad. It's forced. It's big money for the... the Hospitals are doing it for money. But the left is pushing this shit to change people. And it's scary. It's truly fucking scary when you really think about it. Planned Parenthood says... Sexual beings from birth. That's how sick they are. It's all fucking sex. But we had one positive this week. Loudoun County is worse than you thought. And the grand jury found that they obstructed that dad who got arrested because he got upset because his daughter got raped and the school covered it up. And then the guy raped somebody else. Yeah, that, that shit all hit the fan. All right, joining me now is a reporter who broke this story, Luke Rosiak, investigative reporter for The Daily Wire. He's also the author of Race to the Bottom, Uncovering the Secret Forces Destroying American Public Education. Luke, now you noted that the grand jury report found that the superintendent's concealment was so extensive that the school board didn't even know about it until you broke the story. What? That was pretty wild. I broke this story a little over a year ago, and now this jury of nine citizens in Loudoun County has uh, found facts that I couldn't get because they used subpoenas. They used compelled testimony. Now, the school board members would not testify until they were within two hours of being arrested. Um, But they got documents. They did get that testimony. And what we find is that uh, there was a series of failures, continuing failures, including just days before the rape, a teacher's aide emailed her boss that she did not want to be held responsible if anyone gets hurt because of this kid. Now, her boss said, I question your motives, implying that the lady, the teacher that complained was transphobic. And so they did nothing to the kid. So they're afraid. So they want they want the teachers to be afraid. They want administrators who don't agree with this agenda afraid and they want the parents afraid they want everybody afraid that's right and so they left this kid in school they did nothing to him and just days later he raped Um, after that he's charged he's wearing an ankle bracelet they just transfer him to a different school and again the grand jury found a series of additional instances of this guy being creepy with girls is is there a massive lawsuit involving the parents of this girl right now i think we're going to see that with scott smith yeah there could be a lot of money on the table oh my god well luke i want to read you a portion of this grand jury report when you reached out to loudon county schools for a statement to confirm or dispute any of the facts weighed by our loudon county school public information officer sent it to his colleagues and said i believe this should receive immediate attention now this was months after the assault he seemed concerned that the story was about to get national attention that is all that mattered to them not this young woman not the fact that other young women and other students were vulnerable at these other schools. It was the PR that they didn't want, the bad PR. That's one of the things that's shocking. There was an email that went out after the first rape that said the only thing that happened at school today was an unruly parent, and that's why you saw police on campus. Now, if you need counseling from having to see the police, we'll offer you counseling. 
Um, but there was no threat to the safety of students. And we find out, as you mentioned, the rapist was on the loose that entire time while they were seeking a restraining order against the father. Now, that email was the father of the victim. Um, we've, that email was attributed, as I reported at the time, to the principal. But we found out from this grand jury, the school district's press guy, the spokesman, wrote it. And the superintendent edited it. So this is all about PR. And as I was saying, they move the kid to the new school and he harasses other girls. And they make him write on a piece of paper, I will not touch others. I will not ask for intimate photos. This is after the kid is wearing an ankle bracelet because he's facing felony sodomy charges. Again, they have warning signs. Again, they do nothing. And a few days after that, he takes a girl into a, a in an empty classroom, strangles her, and sexually assaults her. The woke agenda and fanaticism trumps everybody else's rights, even your right to be left alone and not victimized, or in this case, sodomized and raped. Unbelievable. Luke, I don't know what we would have done without your reporting on this. Initially, you really were the catalyst for all of this. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate it. And all, obviously, all the parents. It's brutal. If you don't think it's not happening all over the country, you know it's happening. It's the same thing that's happening with black kids. It's the same thing that's happening with gay kids. They cover it up because it's an agenda. It's all agenda. And for rarity, I have a soundbite that actually fits now. And a couple things I watched on a show, everything is fucking racist. And listen to this racist, fat-ass piece of shit. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. I think that white people are committed to being villains in the aggregate, right? The real sort of issue here, and I, you know, I've heard people sort of say it, is... One, I think that white people viscerally fear. It's not that white people don't know, right, what they have done. They know. They fear that there is no other way to be human but the way in which they are human, which is to... So, you know, like you talk to white people and whenever you, you really want to have a reckoning about it, they say stuff like, you know, it's just human nature. If y'all had all of this power, you would have done the same thing, right? And it's like, no, that's what white humans did. White human beings thought there's a world here and we own it. Prior to them, black and brown people have been sailing across oceans, interacting with each other for centuries without total subjugation, domination, and colonialism. We have seen uh, what, a, what a show this iteration of treatment of, of other human beings means and that my hope is that we would do it differently, you know, in the moments when we have some power. We will not do it perfectly, but I do think that all of us can sort of agree that a politics that says like there are superior and inferior human beings just isn't the way to go. And that's the thing that white people don't trust us to do because they are so corrupt. You know, their thinking is so morally and spiritually bankrupt about power that they can't let, you know, they fear viscerally, existentially letting go of power because they cannot imagine that there is another way to be. It is either that you dominate or you are dominated. And isn't it sad that 
that that is spiritually who they are and that they can't imagine a sort of more expansive notion of the world. The thing I want to say to you is we got to take these motherfuckers out. But I know, but like, we can't say that, right? We can't say, like, I don't believe in a project of violence. I truly don't. Because I think in the end that our souls suffer from that. And I do think that some of this is a spiritual condition. So here is where I land most days about white people. Um, and I actually have been helped in this by thinking about indigenous people, right? See, part of the challenge of, around whiteness is that it totally skews our view of everything, right? I gave this like TED talk about this some years back. And one of the reasons I was trying to think about it is like the, the world didn't start when white people arrived in America and tried to tell all the rest of us how things were going to go. There were people out here making worlds, Africans and indigenous people, being brilliant and, you know, libraries and inventions and, you know, vibrant notions of humanity and cross-cultural exchange long before white people showed up being raggedy and violent and terrible and trying to take everything from everybody. And that's really important because if we believe that history starts for us when white people drag us to these shores, then we can never get outside of the notion that this is going to be our existential struggle all things that begin end. White folks are not infinite and eternal, right? They ain't gonna go on for infinity and infinity. And that's super important to remember that white colonialism and imperialism has a beginning. And in my way of thinking about the world, that means it has an end. And so part of what we are trying to do is to imagine what it, what are the steps that we must take to get to the other side of this very inconvenient you know, epochal interruption of like black and indigenous world making. I mean, does that give people comfort on a day to day when you like just having to deal with white folks and the trap, you know, the travesties that they create and the sense that they want to destroy the planet? Nah, there is a world beyond even our sojourn on the earth. And so whiteness is going to have an end date because it it is not Despite what white people think of themselves, they do not defy the laws of eternity, right? Their projects are not so sophisticated that the natural laws of physics change for them. And when we sort of humble them in the, in humble our own understandings of whiteness, it seems like the biggest giant that we face. But in the end, right, it is what I like to say is, you know, black folks were out here for centuries and centuries and millennia doing all kinds of wonderful things and probably some up things too but whiteness is largely an you know an inconvenient interruption and so we then get to ask ourselves so why am i here in this moment of it like damn you know why did i show up in this particular iteration and it's like well i think we showed up in this iteration precisely so that we could um help to whiteness is gonna have an end date we're gonna take those motherfuckers out yeah you know, Samuel Jackson's one of the people I really, really liked. But he changed lately. He got more vocal. And I didn't know that he did this show called Enslaved. And it was in 2020. And I watched it. Here's the trailer for it. More than 12 million Africans were enslaved and trafficked. More than 2 million of our ancestors died at sea. The ocean holds stories that haven't been told. This is ground zero for the whole transatlantic slave trade. The story of the slave trade is world history. It's not so. 
day it was truly sad. I mean, by no means do I think uh, slavery was good or how they treated those people, especially when you see how they stacked them in there. And I remember watching the first one because it's, it's a dual show where they go back to the areas where they came from. He went back to where his ancestors came from, and he literally, you know, they find ships on the ocean floor, and all those people died because they were chained. And I watched that Thailand documentary on Netflix. And I remember that night going to bed, having that underwater feeling. It fucked with me. And, and this show did the same thing. I mean, I just thought how horrific to be in a ship that's going under and you're chained to the floor. And then the cases of not enough water and throwing them in the ocean and killing them. As much as I hate the wokesters and the disproportionate amount of black people who hate white people now. And this isn't a new phenomenon. I lived in South Carolina. I've said it on the show. 94 to 97 was three years of my life that I hated. We were treated like shit. The majority of people were black. They hated us. We dealt with people trying to get us kicked out of our housing. We dealt with people shitting on us. My wife was attacked by a black woman and all the people involved, the police who watched it happen and saw that this black woman just went in and started beating the shit out of my wife and a PX with her kids said it was, you know, just uh, both of them were fighting and she walked away. Nothing happened to her, but it was full on assault. Because she was forced to say, what is happening up there when an MP stopped her at a crosswalk and this lady's kid was chasing another kid around with a fucking steak knife. But we had been on, we didn't got to say shit. And this is when our marriage wasn't great because she wanted to live on post and I didn't want to. I knew this is how it was. We lived in a fucking house that flooded, couldn't use a bathroom. All the bedrooms had sliding glass doors. Like you want your five-year-old kid with the sliding glass. It was fucking horrible. But we were surrounded by people that were outright racist. Just racist. They hated white people. But having said that, this show is horrible. The things people do, the way they treated people as human cattle is just, you know what happens. It's like the Holocaust. You know these things happen. But then when you watch it or you delve in it, it is just, it's not amazing. It's just horrific that people were treated that way. But I got a bone to pick with, with the show. First of all, there's an Africa town, Alabama. That's a little weird. And then they had... This segment on bluegrass music. Why are you the first black person I ever seen play a banjo? That's the question. That is the question, you know, because it was like, I grew up seeing white people play the banjo and uh, kind of going, oh, that's cool, but it's not part of my mm -hmm. culture. And then I found there are some recordings of the black players of this music. And then as I started to dig and like, this used to be a huge tradition. 
It was an enormous tradition all across, not just the South, but all across the country. So I know the banjo as this. Metal strings, metallic instrument, often played bluegrass style. And uh, then I learned that the banjo was an African-American instrument, so it looked more like this. It was known by everybody as a black instrument. The emblem of being black was the banjo. Then you have a change in the 1820s and 30s, and that's when white folk started going, that's really cool, I wanna, I would like to play that. So you have white entertainers picking up the banjo. The reason why we don't talk about this shift is because the white folks playing this banjo would have been doing it in blackface. This entire industry becomes the blackface minstrel show. Is the most popular form of entertainment for like for the record bluegrass music came out of the rural south after world war ii but its roots date back to the 1930s the genre was named after bill monroe band the bluegrass boys who began performing in the 1940s bluegrass songs were about issues important to everyday people religion was a prominent subject and gospel music fig figured heavily in the development of the bluegrass sound secular songs tend to focus on love home and family sometimes exploring the darker sides of these issues just because an African instrument looked like a banjo, no, no. And I was shocked that they even aired that shit. Nobody fucking fact-checked it at all. Are you fucking shitting me? Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, so that's how everything is racist. Here's a lighter fare. We're going to do uh, Fighting Nazis Then and Now and Playing Scrabble with Biden by Freedom Tunes to close out our show. Freedom Tunes. Okay, folks, so as you know, Nazism is on the rise, and we need to stop them, which is why I've invented a time machine to bring back the people who defeated Nazism in the first place. Perfect! Yes! Hey, this ain't Normandy. What gives? What year is it? It's 2018! Why did you say that so weird? Uh, sorry, force of habit. We brought you to the future because Nazism is on the rise in the U.S. And our president is sympathetic to them! What? Here's a pamphlet with all his positions. Ah, this fella's disgusting. Right? This boy thinks two men can get married. What? And that a man who cuts his dongle off is a woman? Um... Sounds more like a commie to me, but hey, same difference. I'll kill either one. Uh, that's not what's bad about him. It gets worse. What else are these Nazis doing? They believe there are only two genders. Well, of course there's more than two genders. Thank goodness. Yeah, the Russians have their gender, the Germans have their gender, the Japanese have their gender, everybody's got an agenda. No, not agenda. Gender. What the hell is... Gender! Sounds like some kind of phony word popularized in the 50s that created a false distinction between one identity and their biological sex. Am I in a ballpark here? Your sex is whether you're male or female, but your gender is how you identify. So if you were born a man but want to become a woman, your gender identity is as a woman and you therefore are a woman. Know it? So you guys think men can be women? Well, that's the biggest crack of nonsense I ever heard. Yeah, none of this sounds like Nazism to me. Well, how about this? He wants people to pay for their own birth control. Oh, no. Yeah, birth control is legal. Ah! 
the guys who defeated Nazism are such Nazis. You know, I don't like you pinkos going around telling people you're fighting Nazis just because you berate everyone you disagree with. You've never fought a Nazi in your life, and to claim otherwise is stolen valor. Yeah, and you know what? When actual Nazis come around, no one's gonna want to fight them anymore, because you guys keep crying wolf. Now let's go back and win ourselves a war! You know, I almost don't want to anymore. Wait! Don't go! We need you! We need to say you're on our side so we can convince the greater whole of society to accept violence against dissidents who stand in the way of the social order we seek to establish. Uh, and how exactly are they the Nazis? Because I call them Nazis! Well, you call men Alright, what's your word? Exponentially. Exponentially. Uh, could you use that in a sentence? A corporate profit has been up over exponentially. No, it's exponentially. Come on, man! You can't spell that with a D. Anyway, I, I, I think it's legitimate, and I think it is, uh... I, it's to, just to, wrong. To, 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 yeah. I, but no. I don't think anyone's ever said... No. They have it with an N right here in the dictionary. Because, uh, why, why they do because that? that's how it's spelled. Look, I, I was... Anyway. Okay, let me put my pieces down. Advertise. Okay. Your turn, bud. Got a word for me? True international average of pressure! That is also really not a word, Joe. Come on, man. No, you can't just make words up. No, words matter a lot. Exactly. And I got the point across. You're the only guys who didn't understand it. No, that is not a word. And what is that supposed to say? I was in the foot him uh, foot, foot. Mm-hmm. And that's a real word? Yes. That's a real word, Joe? Yes. What does it mean? You know. Okay, why don't you use it for me? So, like, for example, uh, America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot him uh, foot, foot. Try again. Kleptocracy. Yeah. What? Kleptocracy. The guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> Okay, Joe, no. All right, so I put down the word advertising, right? Right. Right. Okay, and you put down the word bad a calf care. Yes, I'm gonna win. <laughs> no, Joe, my point is you're writing gibberish and I'm putting down actual words. Stop your boast about never being seemed at what you, you, you can do anything, you're, you, you always- It's not a boast! I just have basic literacy. Do you? I should be able to read better, but I have never in my life done anything in approaching a woman that has been, other than trying to bring salt, I'm used to, like, one of your staff was- What are you talking about? Donald, this is president. You know what, okay, I'm done. You can play here by yourself. Enjoy. Funny, funny shit. So that wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Share with family and friends. Don't forget to go to foppodcast.com where you find links to Rumble and SoundCloud and all 643 other episodes. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. Enjoy your holiday season. On the medical front, got me on a new medic. Kind of helps, but doesn't like food still, so I'm eating very little, and I get nauseous. My walks are better, my wake-ups are better, my go-to-beds are better, but right during most of this, I was passing fruit cocktail and an apple fat-free 
cake my wife made and it burns and goes crazy when I pass it. They don't know why. I'm still one of five that they can't fix. And I've been waiting for a phone call because I'm out of a one medicine that I take that does help. And they're supposed to give me a prescription off post and they haven't fucking called yet. So hopefully I'll get it. But they got me on Lyrica, um, Gabapentin. It's got a lot of side effects, but it seems to help. That with the Donatella because Percocet doesn't help me at all. It doesn't do anything for my stomach, um, which is really weird. Just makes no sense. But anywho, sorry, it was a delayed one. I had a day of fun yesterday where I felt good. We went out shopping. And tomorrow I will do my Christmas junk to Bright's Antique in Franklin, Kentucky, the greatest damn antique store ever. Take my wife to a fancy meal and uh, I'll probably just have soup. I got it last yesterday. I had egg drop soup. I can eat egg drop soup. My body likes it. I don't get nauseous or anything. Before I did because it's big snotty pile of shit. But that's my life now. Snotty food is okay. Regular food not okay. And during the holidays, God bless America. I'd love a piece of ham or some bacon, but we're not doing that anytime soon. So thank you all for listening. We will go with a, uh, I have an appointment 13. Let's go to 12th, 12th December will be our next podcast on Monday, maybe Sunday. We get some good stuff until then. Take care.